0: Hello, you are listening to The Psalm Cast. I'm Pastor Ollie Berg. It's good for us to be here. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 85. And Psalm 85 is a wonderful psalm to look at how the Holy Spirit uses the literal sense of scripture. What do I mean by that? You know, often we're used to reading the Bible in its historical context. You know, what did this scripture mean at a certain time when it was originally written. But the literal sense, and I know some people are gonna argue with me on this, but I, I'm, qu- I'm quoting from a guy who I believe is named Ian Pravein. The literal sense is more expansive than that. It talks about the literary meaning and the literary value and what is actually being communicated in a given text. And for the Psalms, what is being communicated more often than not Is Jesus Christ. Or at least that's what the reformers would say, and that's what I'm going to say to you today. But enough of that, let's get into our psalm today. Lord, you are favorable to your land, you restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation let me hear what the lord will speak for he will speak peace to his people to his faithful to those who turn to him in their hearts surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him that his glory may dwell in our land steadfast love and faithfulness will meet righteousness and peace will kiss each other faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make a path for his steps. So let's look at Psalm 85 broadly. You know, in its historical sense, the psalm is mostly just asking God for a little bit of help during a drought, And we know this because it repeatedly talks about the land. You know, historically, one of the ideas that scholars have about our God is that God was initially viewed by the ancient Israelites as a rain God. Psalm 85 might actually be drawing on that tradition just a little bit, but we're going to see that the Koraites, aka the sons of Korah, the authors of this psalm, had a more complex understanding of our God. In fact, Luther believes that the sons of Korah were prophets of Christ's incarnation. And again, when we look at the literal sense of this psalm, I actually think that we're going to see that too. So let's get into the language a bit more specifically. The first line of this psalm sets the tone. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. An initial reading of this seems to support that rain god hypothesis. To be favorable to the land is to bring the rain. To restore fortunes is to give crops, which again, need rain. But the term restores the fortunes is a translation of the more direct phrase, return the captivity of Jacob. This phrase makes the reader think of the Babylonian captivity, that great exile of Israel. And to bring the people back from their captivity in Babylon was to restore their fortunes. And it makes God not only a rain god, but a savior as well. To bring the people out of captivity was not just a restoration of the land, but it was a full restoration, a spiritual restoration. That's why we have these verses after this that talk about forgiveness of sin and removal of wrath. You see, the prophet Jeremiah spoke about the Babylonian captivity as a punishment for the sins of injustice in Israel. So to be favorable to the land and to return the captivity, God doesn't just need to bring rain, God needs to rain down forgiveness. And you know, this captivity language makes scholars think this is a Psalm written after the exile. And whatever the reason the community is lamenting, they seem to evoke this exilic imagery to plead to God, so that God will remember them and restore them again. This might be through rain and good crops, but really the Koraites point to a deeper theological hope that they have, that they might see the Lord's Hesed. And the Lord's Hesed, that's the Hebrew word for his steadfast love, or sometimes called his loving kindness. Whatever you call it, it is his covenant. Love, And that's going to be surprising for us when we think about it in a post-exile context. But first, let's just talk about what the word hesed means. Hesed is the kind of love that God shows because of the promises he's made to the people of God. It's because of the covenant. Asking to see the Hesed of God is to go back to the basics, back to when God made a promise to be our God, to protect us, to save us, to be in our midst. You know, in many ways, whenever we pray, we're actually only ever asking God to show us his Hesed, his steadfast love. You know, we might pray to God for this and for that, but I bet, ultimately, we're all just hoping that God is gonna show up in some form or another and show us that God still loves us, that God still wants to be involved in our lives. And the reason that it's kind of surprising to hear a post-exile prayer about God's Hesed is because the exile was a punishment for the people breaking the covenant. It was a time when they didn't see God's Hesed. They didn't see his covenant love. And it was a time, I think, that made them really think about God's loving kindness. God's steadfast love, and it made them realize how much they need to rely on it. And so now, in this time and in this place, they ask God to reveal his loving kindness. And after they do that, Psalm 85 shifts. Because God's loving kindness is a shifting thing, it changes the paradigm. We've been remembering, we've been giving thanks, and we've been asking God to show up again. But now we shift we shift into a posture of expectation and prophecy. Listen to this amazing line. Let me hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people. Isn't that incredible? God will speak peace to the faithful. Salvation is is at hand, the psalmist says. Here, Psalm 85 is functioning as a word from God. It is a prophecy. The sons of Korah are prophesying, and they start to do it using beautiful, poetical language. They start to use the attributes of God and personify them as if they were attendants, meeting and greeting each other on the road with the kiss of peace. They talk about God's hesed, his loving kindness, meeting his faithfulness. And that makes sense to me. Faith and love, they go well together and God's covenant love reveals how faithful he is. So to see the meeting on the road is just a uh, an understandable image. And then they say that God's righteousness and peace will greet each other with the kiss of peace. Now, this is something that we see more in Europe than we see in America. We often, you know, in America, it might be the fist bump of peace or whatever. But that's what they're talking about. That personal friendship meeting right there. That kiss of peace where the righteousness of God and the peace of God meet each other and greet each other. And then the image shifts again. Instead of attendance, these personified attributes, these virtues that we've been talking about, Become creation imagery. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. What does that even mean? You know, I think it means that the sons of Korah see God's faithfulness in the growing crops. God's righteousness is that rain that comes down from the sky. That's why the psalmist says, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. We're back to that rain God moment where God is raining down righteousness and we're seeing God's faithfulness show up in the crops of the earth to sustain us for another day. That's one way to read it at least. There's the great rabbinic commentator, Rashi, and he interprets this image as the righteous people in heaven looking down at their deeds of faithfulness, which continue on forever and ever. It's a beautiful image, and that image does inspire us, and at least it inspires me to keep doing good works of faithfulness. It shows me that what I do has an eternal impact, but I can't help but notice the striking God-centric imagery of this stanza of the psalm, so I think I disagree with Rashi. I don't think the Korahites are talking about us at all. They're talking about God in a specific way. We have all of these attributes of God. They're appearing to us, personified, depicted as as agricultural things. And then we have this last line that is so powerful, I think it changes everything for me. Righteousness will go before the Lord and will make a path for his steps. Think about it. After remembering God's previous works, asking God to act again, imagining all of these images of God, these attributes of God meeting and and interacting or or showing up as, as agriculture. The psalm ends with the image of the Lord himself walking on the paths that he has made with righteousness as a forerunner ahead of him. How can we not, I mean, people, how can we not talk about the incarnation of the word of God after we read this psalm? Yeah, okay, this psalm is poetry for sure. Of course, there's going to be personification. There's going to be poetic items. But the crazy thing about the scriptures is that the Holy Spirit makes poetical words into actual prophecy. God did speak peace to his people when Christ said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Righteousness and peace did kiss each other when Christ united peace and righteousness in his personhood forever. Faithfulness did in fact spring up from the ground when Christ was resurrected from the tomb, showing that God is forever faithful. And now righteousness looks down on us because Christ has ascended. The Lord himself has walked the paths of creation as he walked up and down Judea, and John the Baptist was running ahead of him, demanding righteousness from the people. Now now I think it's obvious why Luther says the sons of Korah seem to have this special ability to prophesy the incarnation. The psalm testifies to a promise that has come true in Jesus. Maybe historically the sons of Korah didn't have exact visions of Jesus, but they did have some kind of vision of the Lord that made for this beautiful language. And the thing about Christ is that he is all poetry. He is all beauty made flesh. This is what I mean when I say the Holy Spirit is using the literal sense of scripture. The Holy Spirit brings us to Christ through these words, not because the Korahites historically meant to tell us about Christ, but because they nevertheless did. I think that can be our first lesson and maybe really our only lesson from this Psalm. All of our ecstasy, all of our poetry, all of our outpourings of love have a new meaning in Christ. The Holy Spirit always brings an answer to us in Christ Jesus specifically whenever we pray. Now, I don't want you to think that that means that every prayer has already been answered in Christ. Because our prayers for peace and justice, they might not only be they might only be answered when Jesus comes again. But you know what? That is an answer in Christ Jesus. It's just an answer that's that's not here for us yet. But this is what I mean. For example, when we say grace before meals, we're blessing the food to our bodies. But God really answers our prayers by blessing us with Christ Jesus who is true food that satisfies our deeper hunger. If you feel like your prayers are not being answered, you know, I, I, I can't really help you specifically, but I would suggest to see how your prayers, whatever they may be, are bringing you back to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sure sign of God's covenant love. He is that meeting of faithfulness, of righteousness, of peace and kindness. He is the one that walks on the paths of creation. He is the answer to our prayers. And beloved, you got to understand this. Jesus is that surprising proof that God is love and that God is listening to us. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Psalm Cast. If you want to find out more, you can check us out at psalms.blog. And if you want to support this ministry, I encourage you to check us out at patreon.com slash Thank you so much for listening. God be with you till we meet again.